Welcome to the Naked Ambition Podcast, where we speak with the people who are making an impact in tech, innovation, and design all over the world. This show is brought to you by the team at Naked Ambition. We are a design-led innovation company, partnering with some of the world's smartest companies to help them solve complex challenges and design new futures. I'm your host, Fiona Triarca. On the show today, I'm so excited about this episode and so is the whole team at Naked Ambition. <laughs> we are joined by Ashley Morris, the CEO of Choreo. Hi, Ashley. How are you going? Good. Hi, everyone. Uh, so I'm going to give Ashley a bit of an intro. So this is probably one of the most impressive bios I've ever read on. <laughs> so I'm just going to preface this. So you know, for all of you who are tuning in, brace yourselves out there. So Ashley Morris is the CEO of Choreo. They are an award-winning company who advise and guide industry and the government through their circular economy aspirations. And this is both at a strategic level, but also down to the operational level as well. So Ashley herself is bold in her pursuit of systemic change. She has been acknowledged as a future leader and was recently presented with the Young Business Person of the Year Award by the Lord Mayor of Brisbane. She's been recognised as a top 100 corporate social responsibility influential leader. She's a Prime Minister's Scholar, an Australian Asian Emerging Leader. She's an invitee to the 73rd United Nations General Assembly and an Alan MacArthur Foundation of the Circular Economy Champion, which is a title that's actually only granted to a handful of people worldwide. So congratulations on that. In her recognition of her strategic foresight experience, she's also met with Australian Prime Ministers, she's been invited on trade missions, and she's represented Australia as a panellist at the World Circular Economy Forum in 2019. So Fair to say, she's a bit of an expert on the circular economy. Welcome so much to the show, Ashley Morris. Thank you for having me and for sharing that, yeah, very long bio. <laughs> but it's, it is, yeah, certainly nice to receive recognition in our country for our work. So thank you. Yeah, you should be super proud. <laughs> so, Ashley, this topic of the circular economy popping up more and more and more, um, you know, we're seeing it everywhere. It's sort of permeating our world in the innovation space and it's something that a lot of purpose-led companies are becoming a lot more focused on. Mm -hmm. Do you reckon you could start, just for anyone out there who's sort of new to the concept, could you start with a bit of a, a definition of what are we talking about when we talk about the circular economy? Yes, and I think this is this is such a good opportunity, so I'm very glad you actually asked me to start with that because I think the rhetoric in Australia is, if you've heard of the circular economy, people will think it's quite synonymous with recycling. Let me say it's not. That's a very small part of the model. So the circular economy, by definition, it's an economic performance-based model that's designed to be restorative and regenerative. It has three key principles. These are globally adopted. The first is to design out waste and pollution, not get creative with designing with it. We want to design it out. The second principle is how do we keep products and materials at their highest value for as long as possible? And then that third principle is how do we regenerate our natural systems? Now, for us at Corio, we focus on not only just our natural ecological systems, but also our social systems, really bringing in that human focus as well. Now, if you remember nothing else, those three principles of a circular economy are what you need to take forward. 
you can reframe them and use them as questions. Like as a business, how do we design out waste and pollution? How do we keep product and material at its highest value? Could be like new commercial strategies, innovative tech coming in. And how do we regenerate the natural system? So it is quite simple. It's quite logical. But when you start to think and ask those questions, you do see that it's horizontal and it's also vertical in its, in its application and can be applied to any industry, which is where I think people do struggle because of its breadth and depth of application that they often we find once they understand what it is, they're like, whoa, where do we start and how do we start this journey towards circularity? So good. And so good to kind of break down. There's a lot in there as well because there is some complexity as well about yeah. what you're saying, presumably for organisations and that concept of application. Yeah. Walk us through like what, what does that actually look like if an organisation actually wants to take this on? They do it. Sure. I'll give you two examples that, you know, from when we started our journey as a company, which was four years ago. So I'll give you a really basic application of circular economy. And then I'll give you one that's much more systemic and on a a global commodity. So four years ago, when we started our very aptly titled pilot project, The Circular Experiment, we were working on one city street with a group of small to medium-sized business. Now, there were nine cafes on that street. Each were selling coffee grounds or selling coffee that was then resulting in spent coffee grounds. That was typically going into the, you know, your general waste yield and then into landfill. So for us, from a circular perspective, we're like, how do we capture that clean material, these spent coffee grounds, and find a higher value application? How could that actually regenerate our natural system like our soils? So we looked for industries on the Sunshine Coast where this project was based. We identified a local uh, farmer who was growing microherbs and flowers. She was already selling her produce to this particular street where those cafes were operating. And so we're like, great, there's a logistics network already set up. She's coming there twice weekly on her regular delivery run. So we're like, how do we actually then collect the coffee grounds? So we got secondhand plasters buckets. We put them into each of those nine cafes. They put their coffee grounds in there. The farmer collected it. She added it to her soil on her farm, reducing her cost of buying in any other organic matter to improve her soil. And then she sold additional microbes and flowers into the street. It's a nice closed-loop model of how do we capture what is considered a waste product out of one industry or set of businesses, have value added to it by going to into soils to create produce that's then sold back in a, in a different form, and in this case, in microherbs and flowers. A nice, simple example that most businesses, if you are a retail or hospitality-based business, you could get involved in and do. This saved businesses money because they were no longer putting coffee grounds, which are quite a heavy material into their general waste and also a massive reduction in emissions because anything like coffee grounds or food waste, it generates methane, not carbon emissions in the first instance, which are 24 times more potent to our atmosphere. So big wins and also it obviously created additional revenue for that farmer who was selling those microbes and flowers because she got more customers because she was connecting that not only with one business but nine. Mm -hmm. So really simple, cost no one money but save them money and created opportunity. So then like to scale it up, you know, we're four years into our journey and we're working with some of the world's largest companies, particularly some of our large mining sector clients, which you might be like, okay, what role do they have in a circular economy? They are classified typically as an extractive, very wasteful industry. And you would be right in that classification, but actually they're very much transforming to be more of a development industry and providing the materials we need to make transitions in our energy, like renewables that use a huge amount of metals actually to create those technologies in the first place. 
So if we're working with one of the world's largest mining companies now, not only looking at their production, so how do they produce metal, but also the consumption of metal into the global marketplace. So typically mining is very wasteful, but what we looked to do was actually work with this company to help support them and bring in more innovative and circular approaches to developing a copper cathode, so the metal product, that had a very low carbon footprint and also didn't use any virgin content. So this copper actually is produced from two forms of mine waste and it, it doesn't use any primary material and it can clean up old and abandoned mine sites that are really hazardous because mining practices do produce something that's called tailings, which can be very risky if it's not managed safely. So this technology is quite remarkable in the sense that it's, it produces a very high quality metal from waste only and uses a lot of other byproducts from the mining industry to create this really low carbon copper. And so what we wanted to do then, if you were producing such an incredible product, how do we direct it in the supply chain so it can contribute additional benefits? So we directed it to other companies downstream, mm. like those that are producing low carbon technologies, maybe an electric vehicle, maybe a wind turbine. And then once it goes into that product, we questioned, well, could we bring it back and leverage the infrastructure that some of these mining companies have and reprocess it, essentially creating a a cyclical cycle for metal. Metal is a perfectly suited material for circular economy because it can be reprocessed infinitely with very, very small losses in the metal over time. So for us, it's about a more systemic entire supply chain focus on one particular global commodity that is set to exponentially grow. So you can see how there's applicability at the smallest scale from material like coffee grounds through to something that's being primarily produced through major mining entities all around the world at the moment. How do you go articulating the value? I mean, in that case, so in that example, yeah. particularly in that larger mining scalable example, because I can imagine, like even when you were speaking about the small one, I'm like, okay, so this is actually at the operational level, when you say that's what you do, this is going to be a whole supply chain challenge of where do we actually look for the opportunities in each yeah. step. So Throughout your journey over the last four years, are you seeing a shift in organizations' appetite for this? Is this something that Mm -hmm. now they're saying, we want this help, or is this you going, this is what you need to do? Yeah, is it a push or a pull? Yeah. I think so. When we started four years ago in this country, no one really knew what the circular economy was. Actually, there was probably only a handful of people that were using the terminology. But I would still say that the maturity in understanding the model wasn't there. And, I mean, that was the catalyst for us to start that pilot project that I mentioned, that coffee ground example from. So when we were talking about it, we were talking into a vacuum. You know, it was just like, hello, anyone care? (laughs) (laughs) Like circular what? You should Yeah, Yeah, circular what? But at the end of the day, you know, I think we learned so much. People often say to us, how did you engage those businesses on the street? Gosh, did we learn about how to, you know, listen and learn and then try to define what was in it for them. That is always the question that comes back to what's in it for me. Mm. And I think to be able to answer that, you need to be able to listen to where the opportunities might be within that particular company, that particular street or the context. And you also need to, you know, be very aware of what you think you could do and how does the circuit economy tools, principles, business models enable you to present an opportunity to them Mm. to address that challenge So I will say 2017, speaking to a vacuum, learned a lot through walking up to businesses, shaking their hand, kind of cold call, 
hey, we want to test this concept in practice. And, you know, we got we got such a, a cold engagement initially and then it just grew and grew and grew and got up to 45 businesses out of the 56 in total that were on that street, which we're very proud about. But now fast forward to today, and I would say in the last 18 months, catalytic, enormous growth for the interest in the circular economy, not only here in our country, but internationally. Europe and the UK have been advanced in this space for a long time, so has China. They're a very intelligent economy in how they manage the stocks and flows of resources and materials. But I will say there's a pull. It's not a push at all, and it's coming from the boards. It's coming from the shareholders and executive teams. Now, people often say to us, are you engaged by sustainability departments? No, not often. We're engaged by corporate strategy, you know, strategy, CSR. business development. Yeah, yeah. but it's it's definitely not sitting in an environment portfolio. And it, mm. and it to be honest, it shouldn't. Yeah, It's an economic model that has benefit to the environment and society when designed right. And I think you, so on that basis, you know, we have an opportunity to really design outcomes that are systemic because they're at the heart of how we operate and the considerations we make for our economy and people and business. But I'm very, you know, we've never had to push this agenda. We've been very fortunate that we've grown by word of mouth and we've never, say, been part of grant programs or it's been word of mouth and it's been customers. And I, we often say you can't be in the green if you're in the red. And mm-hmm. so, you know, we've had a very incredible journey and I think it's about transparency and honesty. You know, you may not be able to answer every question, but you can present possibilities. So I think that's it's powerful and I'm really excited to see the growth that's happening more broadly on circuit economy at the moment. Yeah, so smart and just also working side by side with people rather than yeah, you're trying to pretend that, you know, we've got all of these solutions <laughs> or even just like what I love, even hearing so much, like just hearing you speak about this in the brief time that we have is also how tangible those outcomes are. It's not coming mm-hmm. up with, again, which I... I think in sometimes in corporate social responsibility, it's a bit like we need to do this or we have to do this or it's about optics or mm-hmm. you know, if, if it is in that area, whereas this is these are things that we really want to do that's the business benefit. It's highly strategic. Yeah. You know, it's a business model opportunity or even an innovation opportunity is yeah. another way to look at it. And then Correct. the benefits then are there are some green benefits to it mm-hmm. and also being partnering with mining companies rather than taking the stance of, I'm not going to go near it because I don't believe in what's happening there, but then I may be a beneficiary of some of the, you know, the outputs of these organisations. Yeah, we need to go there, you know, in terms of like those sectors that are, I don't know, they just get such a bad rap, but none of us can separate ourselves from mining and the metals and minerals that come into our economy right now. I mean, you'd be you'd be avoiding the truth if we were doing that, you know. Yeah. So it's about how do we ask new questions of these industries and how do we support them, as you said, side by side to achieve real outcomes, not framing, not optics, but outcomes, and by not promising that everything is possible but rather exploring what is. And I think it's a, we've just, people also like say, what is your secret to success? But it's extremely based on soft skills, trust and rapport, which supports the ability to explore what might be possible. And we use an economic model, which is the circular economy and its core principles, supporting business models, as that toolkit for change. So, you know, we have a model, we have a process, but then it all really comes back to human-centred relationships. And people are like, oh, 
I was I was hoping for like innovative tech or <laughs> and I'm like that's a compliment that's an enabler it is yeah. it is really human centered and yeah. and soft skills driven mm. listening learning you know and then guiding you know and just being honest in the transition love hearing that what's some of the untapped potential or the big opportunities that are getting you and the team excited at Corio around this circular economy well again I, I love the mining and resources sector just because of scale I mean I know there's a focus on I love war and waste if anyone listening was you know seen that series that came out a couple of years ago that was so catalytic for change and I you know I know the executive producer phenomenal program you know but it really it brought light to things like coffee cups and the whole you know the whole of Australia was like wow we're going to do something about coffee cups and yes we do but when we start to look at the scale of some industries in comparison to coffee cups and the scale of the impact and the very real impact you know for us that's where there's an untapped untapped opportunity is the how do we allow everyday people to understand where our efforts are best placed you can't we can't do it all and we can't do it alone and i think there's a, a lack of understanding more broadly on where are our priority areas to focus and how do we get behind you know making change and supporting those that are already in the in the arena and, and actually supporting that change, you know, alongside these companies and not greenwashing, but genuinely in there, again, with honesty and transparency about doing something. So mining and resources, totally untapped. I think a broader education on impact areas that we should be focusing on as citizens in Australia and more abroad. But also I think if we had fantastic, and I'm going to be bold and say it, if we had a female leader as the head of our country, I think that would change the game. And I think seeing examples like Jacinda Ardern, the Prime Minister for New Zealand, I think what could happen for Australia if we had a similar leader with a similar ethos, we would just be completely different in our position, our strategic position, I will say, globally. And the I think the value that each of us place on feeling like we're being heard within our government. So they're the things I'm excited about and I think it's possible. So hopefully we'll see some great leadership come through. Why do you think we need a female leader to propel some of this change that needs to happen through the circular economy? If you look globally, but even here in Australia, what we're, what we're seeing is most leaders that are really having successful systemic outcomes, because I think inherently women's style of leadership considers all aspects, social, economic and environmental. You know, around the world, most of the circular economy agenda is being led by women. And again, yeah, and new CEOs that are are stepping in, you know, there's actual really good statistics. I can't reference them and I won't because I'll probably butcher it. But they're really showing that a female-led style of leadership is producing outcomes very much aligned to the principles of circular economy or ESG or CSR. But, you know, it's an inclusive journey towards a different way of operating. And I think that's the power that we could have, again, if we had a female leader. And also just think that relatability it's no longer about an egocentric approach. It's about actually wanting to uplift the many and support and take people along a journey versus a, yeah, that when we talk about, an e, you know, when I say egocentric, it's quite a direct, this is what we shall do and this is the decision we have made versus it being inclusive and celebrating diversity mm. in a process towards, you know, better outcomes. So I just think, yeah, the way women lead is quite different. Mm. the considerations we make in the way we lead a feminine style even maybe a yeah feminine style like to embody a little bit of the feminine style <laughs> or balance it up if we want yeah to yeah 
Amazing. So tell us, um, you know, obviously Naked Ambition, we're all about design-led innovation here. You know, mm-hmm. where do you think organisational innovation should be focused in this space or even like what excites you not to go like it doesn't have to be down the kind of tech road necessarily, mm. but is there anything that's sort of emerging and possibilities when it comes to innovation and the circular economy that that you see? Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, the core principle again for a circular economy, it's designed to be restorative and regenerative. And when we talk about design being so fundamental, you know, that again, you know, no one entity, no prime minister alone or no one, you know, major, you know, monopoly company can do this. Like, so we need so many people to embody a philosophy of innovation, you know, within their, you know, within their companies. So I think what what excites me is that we're seeing a lot more processes being established internally that enable teams from an operational level to bring an idea forward that has a, a pathway through to implementation or a pathway through to an executive decision to be made whether they're going to take that forward. And I think previous to that, you know, innovation sat as maybe a thing that needs to happen inside of a lab, whether that's a lab like a science-based lab or whether it was a lab for an ideation process, you know, something that's external to the company, not core process. So that excites me because I think we're seeing it in local governments, we're seeing it at all scales of business, which is we need an innovation process that supports and gives home to ideas that we generate internally based off the intelligence we know about how we operate today mm. and what we could do differently, just creating space for it and pathways forward for it. So that's the good outcomes and we absolutely need it because we need design thinking at the heart of this. It, it's, it's not when you're trying to change this economic model from linear to circular, that is a hard task. I mean, and a good analogy is often we, it's a fast-moving train how do you step off that train without breaking every bone in your body? And that, you know, and it's very real because it flow is so linear. The flow of materials, the flow of money in our system is very entrenched. Yeah. So if you want to go against that or try to get off of that, it's a very real, you know, consideration that needs to be made about how do we design to our steps forward Yeah. that aren't going to see our company lose value, mm-hmm. but rather create value yeah. against the current, you know, it's, Absolutely. And that's why you keep on saying, you know, you've got to use a whole systemic approach. You've got to think about the causality of each of those actions. And presumably Mm -hmm. as well, I would imagine that generates a bit of fear in some of those organizations because you're trying to break something that fundamentally, probably from an economic level works. Yeah. Especially when you're looking at a supply chain that may have been established for the last 50 mm-hmm. years I don't know something's yeah hard. or longer I mean yeah, longer. Yeah. these mining companies and now you're gonna they've got to be brave enough to challenge that which is pretty yeah. yeah I think you need a healthy level of fear though as long as it's a healthy type of fear yeah because it generally means you care you're paying attention you're in the journey you know you're like buckle in here we go you know there's an intention behind it mm. so I think you know fear can actually be a really good thing and why wouldn't you have a little bit of that because it's a very big and powerful step in a different direction that you should be taking and you need to take but it doesn't discredit the fact that you know it's it's it could be scary and it can change quite a lot of things and a lot of outcomes for companies so yeah I think as long as it's healthy and managed and there's clarity in where you're going and why your purpose of doing it is clear you know that can aid that fear yeah propel you like you said it's a bit of a Mm. catalyst 
So staying on that topic of fear, but from a personal perspective, like what are some of what are some of the biggest challenges? What are the things you as a team are throwing around going, oh, this is, you know, this is something we're a bit concerned about, or this is a big challenge that we've got to overcome? I think for anyone in my space, so I'm an environmental scientist by by qualification. And I think if you look at our ticking time frame for addressing climate related emissions, global warming, you go, okay, we've got under 10 years, you know, what, and then you think about the interventions that are being made whilst good, I, there's a very real concern about are we going to really get ahead of this and are we really going to get our temperature down in time before we start collectively feeling the consequences of our economic model and its externalities, which is climate, which is modern slavery, which is enormous amounts of waste. So I have a healthy fear around that, but I use it as a motivator. It's not disabling me, nor is it taking away my, the hope that I still hold. But it is a very real thing that I have, I'm cognizant of, you could say. But also I think just on challenges as a company, we want to just do more every day. And yeah. we, we each get 24 hours and I believe in the power of the individual. I be, believe in the power of the collective equally. And I think as a small company, we've kept ourselves deliberately small, focusing on quality over quantity. But there is this, I think for anyone that runs a small but impact-led or purpose-driven business, there's this friction of like, I want to take on everything and I want to realise every opportunity, but we need to always focus on outcomes and knowing how we, when you want to achieve the best outcomes, you need to focus on quality, not quantity. So I think there's that friction internally, just on a personal journey, running this company alongside my sister with what is a powerful team of seven phenomenal women, but, you know, a very real like, okay, what is our future trajectory? Where are we best placed? You know, and what does growth look like for us in the work that we do? And we've, you know, we've collectively decided to really just focus again, quality over quantity and and grow, grow sustainably, but we know where we're best placed. We know what the biggest value we can contribute is and they're healthy questions to ask, but I think that is a really real challenge and it's not one we face alone. So many other industries are in the same boat as us. Absolutely. And especially when you are genuinely taking that human-centred design-led approach that you're talking about. Mm-hmm. Sometimes you don't know how big this thing is going to be, the direction <laughs> that it's going to go in. You know, there's no rocking out with your kind of carbon copy process, even though you may have your methodology and everything that you said, your toolkit and your business models that you lean fall back on you are in the realm of the unknown and also the possibility and trying to balance yeah. in a big organisation, I imagine. <laughs> yeah. Brilliant. How do you quote for that? You know, like let's explore yeah. possibilities. Let's quote for that. Like how many hours? Yeah. I mean, that's just like, but that's a real thing. There's, you know, it's, that's the honest and transparent journey. And I think it's, again, if you can have very real conversations with those people you're going on the journey with, these companies, which are really just led by people, you can have conversations about, hey, I don't know what that looks like and set up models that financially support that type of approach, not fixed fee, not structured core deliverables, but allowing for innovation, allowing for possibility, you know, an exploration and a journey towards something else. But we can't tell you what that is. That's, that is a battle of our work, but I really but a very real thing that, again, it's not just us in that that challenge, but it's good to talk about it though because I don't think people talk about it enough. Can we all just try to conform to boxes when it's like square peg, round hole? Yeah. That. Enormously dependent on the trust element that you just mentioned before and those mm-hmm. super strong relationships of a great internal sponsor or a stakeholder that really yeah. gets it and isn't just looking for a, 
a fast win to say this is deliverable or this is my KPI or whatever. It's really, yeah. imagine it's that career shift kind of moment for somebody that this is probably one of the biggest things they'll do. Yeah. And that's, I think a lot of people feel like that. We, mm. you know, as part, as a separate part of our company, we teach a masterclass on the circuit economy mm. and <laughs> terrifies us, but a lot of people actually quit their job after and they start a whole new chapter, yeah. you know, or they found a new business. And I think yeah. it's, um, it's because I think when people really grasp this concept, whether it's an internal project stakeholder for us, they really see what this, what it could do and what it will mean if it's successful. And I think people holistically and wholeheartedly get behind it. And that's really powerful. And that's a huge amount of trust that we place, you know, in each other in that relationship and making sure that, that we support the entire system change that needs to happen plus the individual that's taking that very bold and ambitious step and being quite courageous in all honesty. That was actually a question I wanted to cover with you, you know, for people who have tuned into this and are thinking, you know, being curious about circular economy and maybe feel a bit, even a bit inspired about what you've just covered, I do. What is the role of the individual in an organisation or the possibility? I can even see, I mean, I think there's probably a few startup opportunities that are triggered you know, once people understand this, because a lot of information oh, yeah. does come from the supply chain and looking at things you can do there. But, uh, yeah, what are the sort of things that you talk to people about in that masterclass about the individual impact that you can have if you're in an organisation? Yeah. I think in the masterclass the first thing we like to teach people is what is the economy? And because, like, I mean, we all talk about it and it's this big thing that we feel separate to. We never, like, talk about it as part of. So the first thing is let's understand the problem. You know, I I love a quote by Albert Einstein where he's like, you know, if I had 60 minutes, I'd spend the first 55 understanding the problem and then I'd know what question to ask myself. And I think that's so powerful. So for us, it's how do we support people to understand our current economy so they have confidence around that, they're informed. And then on the basis of being informed, how do we give them visibility to this new economic model being the circular economy? and give them the principles and the business models to take that away as an individual, whether that's going back into their home, back into their business, or either running their business, being part of community, and actually starting to use those tools to create change. And like I said, the most simple application and things we encourage our participants, but anyone we interact with to do, is those three key principles, frame them as a question. Mm. How can we design our waste and pollution? You know, and what that can spark whether you're taking that internally or into a supply chain is phenomenal. You know, for example, we're working with Hydro Tasmania, which is a large renewable energy generator and the largest water body manager in Australia. They asked that question of their supply chain and automatically they were able to design out waste just like that by asking them, is that possible? You know, how can we design it? Like, oh, we could use reusable crates for all of your deliveries. They're like, wow, okay, instead of actually thinking about how do we better get out, better manage and get outcomes from recycling? They don't have to even think about recycling anymore and they're saving money and doing better by the environment and they have a stronger customer relationship with their supplier. Yeah. Simple way to use those principles and questions as an individual to do something meaningful and affect change. Solve the right problem before you solve the problem right. <laughs> That's very good. Exactly what you're doing there. Yeah, so interesting. What about for organisations? So if this was, you know, we've got CEOs and MDs sort of thinking, 
you know, what should I be looking at or where would I even start if it was my organisation? How would you typically engage early on for an organisation that's really fresh to this topic but has a leader that has appetite for it? I think, one, they need uh, baseline information and I say that and I'll caveat it with, you know, most people, they can be ahead of a business but we still lack understanding of where our consumption is like how much energy we're consuming how much water how much waste are we generating you know what is our key customer base and what do they want you know our data in this country across so many different companies is pretty poor and pretty limited and we rely on other people like maybe external contractors like waste companies to provide us that data but it's often really poor so I think as a leader, if you're interested in this space, it's about actually do you have a really good baseline understanding of consumption patterns, your key market growth opportunities, and then I would start to overlay that with the circuit economy principles and business models again and start to see, hey, can we design out some of our problems here? Could we increase market growth over there by a new commercial strategy or a strategic partnership with a very values-aligned customer? Can we pioneer, you know, a new product? together or a new service is related to our product you know it's there's so much possibility in this but I think it needs to always be grounded in a really good baseline or foundational understanding of your operation your team your market customer base as well as in getting the tools to do something about it but also speaking don't I think one thing is I really want to encourage people don't ever forget the finance element of this because circuit economy is not just about products and materials and managing the stocks and flows of those. Yeah. We need to think about finance and how it's the fuel of the linear, but it'll also be the fuel of the circular economy. So what are those new financial relationships and partnerships or just better visibility to our shareholders that tells them this is a better way to operate and this is why? Again, that that outcomes-driven values forward or creating approach that we need, you know, we need that sector particularly to to increase its maturity in regards to circuit economy. Smart advice. I mean, it's not, this is what's interesting about it. I think it's probably reframed how people, even just hearing that, may think about when is the right time for them to do it because, you know, what you're asking people to do there is unpacking the whole strategy, (laughs) not just going, (laughs) hey, you know, this thing circular economy is cool. This is going to be great if we start, start doing that. I'm going to put Sally on the case. You know, actually, like, <laughs> poor Sally. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but it yeah. is going to be a, you know, presumably it's, I mean, it's, it's very much aligned with innovation strategy as well. Like you, it's, it needs to go lockstep with you wanting to question everything. Yeah. Yeah. Where are we actually going? What does that future look like? What are the possibilities? What are those market opportunities? Yeah. Yeah. What's underutilized, you know? Exactly. But you just have to start somewhere. Yeah. They just have to start somewhere. Again, we are talking core strategy, core business. Yeah. But just get started. The biggest thing around circular economy is if you actually don't action it, you get no value from it. Mm. You can talk about it all you want till you're blue in the face. You know, the value will come from its implementation truly. Mm. Education really matters, but so does the practice of putting it, you know, putting it into action. So, yeah, we need both. Yeah, And so I think just encouraging business leaders to get started is fundamental here. And even using your sort of startup, that localised first case study that you gave, mm. thinking about that at a micro level inside an organisation could yeah. be a starting point. It's just got a few people running these projects, put this lens on it, give it a go, 
start to yeah. look at how it could be adapted for our organization and yeah cool so tell us a little bit about let's project us into the future a bit I mean we've talked about where you were 2017 as an organization then sort of where you are now hmm. maybe from even from just a maybe a more societal view of like what is your where do you want to see us when it comes to circular economy in the next 10 years you could take this for Australia we could take this globally big question but like what's Ashley's grand vision for where we we really need things to go well it would be really nice you know as a part of that grand vision to have our economy be considered circular which means we're managing the stocks and flows in Australia but also those that we export understanding where they're going the value they're generating and who's getting the value financially, environmentally, and socially. Mm. Right now we don't have that visibility and, you know, the economy's gotten so big and complex and, you know, overdrawn that, you know, we're really lacking a tangible understanding of of what we're contributing, what our impact is, et cetera. So I think when we can actually look at our economy and say we know where those flows are going, the value they're generating and to whom, that will be a very powerful future for us because then we can actually make strategic direction on on do we need to change something in relation to that you know because our our linear economy right now benefits the one percent and not the 99 that's its default and that you know and that for all of the value fiscally or financially that's generated only going to one percent for the negative negative externalities again modern slavery climate or global warming waste being felt by all of us but only one percent getting a financial value that's not a good equation. So the future needs to be that we all get value and we design out those negative externalities. Mm. We need to make sure we have a system that's no longer extractive but in which circulates value in every sense of the word. Mm. And that, that's what looks exciting in the future if we can get there. Who would you point to now? You mentioned China before. is actually mm. making great ground when it comes yeah. to circular economy, who who else do you look to in terms of other geographies that are paving the way, I guess, for this? Finland. Yeah. Finland, again, great leadership by women. <laughs> but no, not just women. <laughs> but, but, yeah, Finland, um, the UK, Scotland, mm-hmm. uh, the Netherlands, they have a commitment as a country, this is the Netherlands, you know, to be 100% circular. Incredibly powerful. And, yes, that's a big target. But then you filter down, they have like core sectors which then have their own targets and they've brought in industry, they've changed procurement. And not only are they changing their their roles and their structures in government legislative regulatory of procurement, they're also supporting that change by getting outside of their direct operations. So working with companies to make sure they can actually provide a circular service or a circular product yeah. to be procured not just changing procurement and expecting the market to conform. So, you know, I think that's, you know, that's where I see a really smart approach to developing a circular economy. Again, you can't just pull one lever and expect everything to change. It's just not how it's going to work. We need our companies and our governments that form our infrastructure and economy to come together and rethink that operating system itself. Mm. That's, you know, and these countries around the world, we don't have to reinvent the wheel They've done a lot of the hard yards. They, you know, the circuit economy term was coined over 10 years ago now. Mm. And some of these countries have been, you know, they're a decade ahead of us, if not even further culturally. 
So, you know, again, Australia, we are very wealthy as a, as a small nation with a small population. We are so perfectly primed to mm. realise this opportunity. And we, again, they've done a lot of the hard yards, so we can just adopt it and not have to reinvent. So I think if we can look to those countries, we'll be quite smart. And as you said, you're already seeing that, that upswing in the last 18 months where part of the zeitgeist, almost everyone's starting to really tune into this care more yeah. about it, I guess, more consciousness. That's probably yeah. a big, big catalyst as well. What are, I know this is, I mentioned so our team were quite excited about this conversation, Parika from our team in particular, and she was just putting together some, some things she was keen for me to ask you. And one of those is what are some of the biases that maybe you think you need to let go on of when it comes to this vision for the future? Yeah, this is such a good question. I did say to you, like, I was like, that is a good question. I think it was a two-part question as well. Like, there's what do I need to let go of? And I, what I was sharing when I was really thinking about that question is like a lot of our households you know, need to let go of households, yeah. and you know, me individually. You know, we all hold these unconscious biases, and I think you know, trying to become conscious to what they are. You know, because we have a lived experience. You know, and I've been. I've been born in this country, so I'm already immediately blessed and I have this colour of skin and that doesn't count a blessing as well. And, you know, there are these things that we carry forward and we have perceptions of that are imparting bias in how we operate and the view of the world we have. So, you know, I know I carry many, but I think one of the one of the big things is I think we individually need to get let go of the fact that we think we're insignificant sometimes because it's all too big, it's all too opaque, it's, you know, all too hard. You know, I think we actually really mat- really matter, each and every one of us, and I think we have such a power, but we, we actually just need to realise it and realise that our, what we share matters, how we behave matters, this, you know, the things, our values matter, and we need to communicate them more regularly because I often hear people, I just want to live my life, you know, climate's com- the climate change and global warming's coming, and I, we get so bogged down in the everyday and then, you know, we feel like if we just put things in the right bin that it's insignificant and we lack trust in the system. Yeah. And I think collectively households into myself again, I think we all have a tendency and a bias to think that somebody else will do it. Mm. Manage it. The they, that magical they, the local government, they need to be doing this. They don't provide that service, you know, remembering that we're all part of the same system we are one world we're one economy we're one species obviously alongside many other species but I just think that the whole methodology or thought or bias that someone else will take care of it is yeah something we all need to let go of and remember then coupled with we all matter we're not insignificant and collectively we have a whole bunch of power to create change but we all need to get behind that new narrative there's heaps to think about in there Something you've just said as well has made me even think, you know, it's not, it also doesn't have to be so binary that either you're, you know, you're doing this and you're a real do-gooder or you kind of not, do you know what I mean? Like yeah. we all have those days where really good yeah. with, I mean, I don't want to come back to just the waste being the example, but that's just when you were talking there, yeah. that's coming up for me, you know, it's like 
where you do the right thing and then there are other days when <laughs> stuff's just going on and you maybe you don't and then you kind of yeah. like then that just puts me I'm junk at this I'm you know I'm in this pile I can't be that good person and it's like anything you know whether it's your wellness or your mental health or whatever it is it's yeah, you know, we've got to. I feel like there, there seems to be on this topic, you know, you're either a do gooder or you're not, kind of thing. Whereas yeah. we're all just these imperfect people in between trying to do a bit more and just that, yeah, just, they're having that belief that actually we do have that power really propels you to want to do yeah. it a bit more don't, and have that faith in it. Oh, yeah, you know, don't beat yourself up if you yeah. put it in the, in the wrong bin or, you know, you don't feel like you're on the community group or the, you know, yeah. the parents committee or the, you do what you can do and do it well, you mm. know, and if you fall off the bandwagon, get back up, perseverance, that all really matters. And I think overall, when we persevere, it speaks to the integrity we have, you know, we're not perfect. We're actually very imperfect. And I think just giving ourselves the time and space to continue in doing better, not mm. being perfect is yeah. so important. I really struggle. Like if I'm going for a bike ride and I see a piece of litter on the ground, like it eats at me if I don't stop and pick it up, you know, but sometimes I have my two-year-old screaming and I just yeah. can't. And that's, that's being human. And that, that's also okay mm. because I might get it the next time and the next time, the yeah. next time, you know? So I just think that is such an important message that we need to have. There's no camps here. We're all in the same one. Beautiful. That has just been the most enlightening conversation, I think. <laughs> just even in that, to me, like so many kind of dots joined and connections. So thank you so much for going really deep in parts, Ashley, as well, but also just giving us, a, I think, a really great summary of, of what this all means, what that possibility is, and even what we the role we can play as individuals. Yeah. Thank you for the opportunity. I mean, I, I always like sharing what I can and just as, a very transparent and honest translation of our journey so far, you know, doing this with my sister and starting with no one's permission from our bedroom floor to where we are today. So I do think it's important to speak to one another about why we do things and what we think might be possible, especially when we believe it's better for all of us. Yeah. Well, congratulations and thank you so much again for being on. This has just been a joy and hopefully we may even hear from you again in the show we might have to get you and your sister on it one stage <laughs> yeah she's totally family act going on. <laughs> yeah she's in the yin and yang so it should be a whole whole lot of fun to have on amazing thank you again thanks 